Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the West Coast bottleneck with my friend Brian Rice. How's it going, Brian? Joe, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to talk about this. Guys, uh, the West Coast, uh, Los Angeles, Long Beach has been a big bottleneck for a while and COVID only made it worse. I feel bad for everybody who has to endure that whole, <laughs> the people working there and the people who got to get freight through there tough, tough life right now. And we're going to talk about that. And there's it's such a complicated problem. I've just been spending the last, uh, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes talking to Brian about it. We're going to get into it today. So Brian, please introduce yourself and your company where you're located at today. Sure. Thanks, Joe. My company is Dre Depot and we are out of the Chicagoland area. I'm the CEO of Dre Depot and we're located actually in Park Ridge, Illinois, if you want to get, you know, real. It's right across, right over the road of uh, Chicago. Very nice. Very nice. So so who do you serve? You know what, Joe, we try to find direct shippers, um, steamship lines, uh, direct manufacturers and freight forwarders are the guys that we're going to go after. We try to stay away from, you know, double brokering. We try to help some people out in the industry. I got a good uh, contact at uh, Traffic Tech. Brian Arnott, the CEO over at Traffic Tech, he's a good buddy of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're trying to collaborate a little bit where he throws me the drayage. He sees that we're becoming a big player in this game. So he's trying to help out. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So, Brian, give us a little details about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Sure. And give us some career highlights before you founded um, Dray Depot. Absolutely. So I grew up in the Chicagoland area. I was a Gordon Tech guy, which is a high school right in the city, right by Wrigley Field. Following that, I went to the University of Michigan, uh, tried to play a little bit of football. Go Blue. Yeah, absolutely. Go Blue. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, tried to play a little bit of football there. Um, that dream uh, fell short uh, due to injuries and all that good stuff, like most people, you know, trying to make it. So I decided to, 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 to go into logistics and it was a game changer. Um, I started off at logistics at companies like U.S. Express, AFN with Ryan Dalby. I learned a lot from these guys. So after I went through those two big custom uh, companies, I started off um, getting some interest at a company called America's Freight Carrier. They're an asset-based company out of Elk Grove Village. I was one of the founding members since inception there. Um, they're still doing pretty well this day. I sold yeah. my interest in that company. I then hooked up with some guy that was in the industry for a long time. He worked at Custom. His name was Rob uh, Cantonese. Um, he worked for Giltner Logistics, um, big, big, big asset-based company out of Idaho. Um, and he basically started an agency here in Chicago, and I helped him get it off the ground. I've also had interest in that company, sold that off, and that's where we come to um, Trade Depot. So, so yes, yeah, so you've been you've been there, done that, got that. You worked at Backhaulers too, right? I did. I was, you know what? I probably wouldn't even be remembered at Backhaulers right before it was a couple months before they went to CH Robinson conversion. I was basically like the uh, the little guy in the background doing the operations for yeah, guys but it's, like it's it's nice. So, to so, be yeah, yeah, like the Circle history, family. Man. You know, Mike Lewis, Ryan Phillips, the guys from Circle Eight Logistics. Those kinds, those guys were there. You know, like Steve Dickman, a lot of great guys that you know made it really big and, and uh, cashed out, so to speak, in the logistics industry. Right. Went from Backhaulers to become right. great entrepreneurs at, at logistics companies. Right. I was going to say, so 
Noam Frankel's been on the podcast. He was at Backhaulers, and so was yep. uh, I know Jeff Silver, the eventual founder of Coyote, and now the goat, Mastery. The goat. He's a back- he, he's a Wolverine too. Yes, he is. <laughs> and uh, and then I just had somebody else on my show. I'm trying to think who it was. Chris Pickett was over at Backcallers. Mm. He was just on my See, podcast. I was a young buck, man. That's like 18 years ago. That's a long time ago yep. for me. <laughs> yep. So anyway, it's part of part of kind of history because they kind of changed the model. So you, you've been there, done that, got the hat. What made you decide I'm going to start Dre Depot? Why not get into all these uh, digital freight startups. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity out there. Why did you decide I want to get, because Dre feels like one of those lower tech parts of the business still. It is. I mean, there's it, not, it, it, there's, there's not well, nobody with a million Dre units. <laughs> no, you're right. And you know what we identified? I just did my due diligence and became an expert in the market. I didn't want to go into something that was like really saturated, right? So I already did the full truckload LTL reefer, you know, oversized dimensional, Freight. So we decided that there was a real need for 3PLs when it comes to Dre. So we wanted to focus on becoming a 100% Dre H company and intermodal company. And, and, and that's what we've done in a very short period of time. And, and, and the reason why we did that is we had a lot of customers reaching out to us, started mentioning the word Dre. So I had to dig deeper into this and I had to find out exactly what Dre is. If you ask a lot of people at other companies, They'll be like, what's Dredge? You know what I mean? No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, when I was at a third-party logistics company, we did lots of well, less than truckload, lots of truckload. And then I remember somebody said, yeah, you got to pick that up at the port. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, just – I was like, have the ops people do it. And then the ops people were like, what do you mean, Joe? What, what do we do? I go, get, get it picked up at the port. You know, I, <laughs> and then I had no idea that, that there were even – needed a Dre. And then some guy in the office said, you're going to need Dredge. I was like, Dredge? I was Googling <laughs> and then, and then I finally ended up calling the owner. I said, Hey, uh, the ops team doesn't know how to deal with this. And I don't either. He goes, Oh, you need a Dre, Dre unit. I go, yeah, exactly. I don't even know what that is. And, he's, and I said, are there any in our network? He goes, no, honest to God, I looked in the yellow pages <laughs> under Dre. Yeah. You had the Friday find something. I understand. <laughs> and then I made all these phone calls and I'm trying to teach myself and my ops team. And, uh, and I think I made like nothing on that load. <laughs> I got done with it. So what is drayage? Give us the, give us some, describe the process a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. So drayage is, is just a, a simple container, 20 foot, 40 foot high cube container that's coming over from, you know, if you name it, Europe, Germany, Asia, you know, all the people that are, uh, you know, importing containers into the United States on a, yep. on a daily basis. That's that's going to be drayage. I mean, you you take the container, you put it on a steamship line. It takes 30 days to get over to the domesticated states. And, and, and that's it's that's that's drayage. So no, so th- then they take that container with a crane and they put it onto a it. chassis. So it, it's a it's a truck without a trailer on it. I mean, right. I so, say, so it's a trailer without a without the top on it. It's just the chassis part. Exactly. Right? So you've got pins on each corner of the chassis. Um, the guy, the, the guy that's the a crane operator is just going to lower it directly down. It's going to stick on these pins because a lot of drayage, um, it, you know, you don't go over 50 miles. Okay. So, it's right. It's not a long trips. haul thing. And so you also see sometimes though, they put those containers onto uh, flatbeds if they're in a jam, right? hundred percent. Yeah. You could, you can, you can definitely move a, a container Strap on a flatbed. It down. Strap that bad boy down. They could also move them. You know, sometimes these containers are just put directly on intermodal on the rail in the port to right. move the container as well. You know, 
my dad, who passed away now, when he was a kid, he used to unload boxcars. He worked, his dad worked at, uh, was an executive at AMP Grocery. And he said, we would go, him and his brothers would unload boxcars. And he said, that was like the worst work in the world. And I remember my father-in-law saying the same thing. He said, it's like the worst work. He goes, you got to bend down. He goes, and he goes, boxcars are a lot bigger than you think. And so that's the way work was done back in the day. You would have to unload these things. And then we created containers. And the containers, and the reason drainage is important is I can fill that container up in China or in Germany, wherever, and I can put it in that container. It gets shipped over the ocean. That crane puts it up on a flatbed or on a chassis. And when it gets to a warehouse, I unload it. Instead of unloading it from China, from a, from a truck, to a boat and then a boat and unloading it to another truck. I don't have to do that. So the container has saved us a bazillion man hours and and it wasn't, it wasn't good work. It wasn't work you wanted to do. Right. So much more productive with the drayage. So anyway, you're in the drayage business now. So let's talk about um, the problem. And the t- today's topic is the West coast bottleneck. So we all know the COVID highlighted and cause some real problems in the supply chain. If you're retail, if you're a production facility, e-commerce, everything got slowed down. And we all we all hear the same thing. It's Long Beach or Los Angeles. And it's a problem. And, and by the way, I'm, I've got some stats here. And maybe we can talk a little bit about that. 30% of our imports come in in those two ports. 30%. And that's and, and mostly the stuff that comes in on the West Coast is from Asia, right? Yeah, it's going to come in from like Germany, Asia, Mexico, Japan. That's going to be the top five people that are importing stuff into the Long Beach area. Right. So our biggest trading partners, China, China, Canada, Mexico. So so the, we don't have to worry about Canada and Mexico. Those are big trading partners, but they, we obviously don't have to go through the port of L.A. to, to trade with them. But um, if it's coming from China, it's coming on the West Coast. A lot of this drayage stuff that for Europe might happen on the East Coast. So that would be the uh, Germany and, and the Germany stuff. Maybe anything else in Europe is coming from East Coast. But if it's from Japan, which is a big trading partner, China, it's coming on the West Coast. And when we went, and so, so during COVID, we went hog wild. <laughs> Consumers, you think... This isn't your grandparents' uh, pandemic. We got wealthier as a people during this time. Now, I know a lot of people would say, I know somebody who lost their job and were in bad straits. But overall, this was a pretty good time financially because we got a lot of money sent out by the government. And if you're a restaurant owner, you're, you're saying, Joe, screw you. That's not what happened to me. Right? right? But a lot of people did very well. And a lot of people spent a lot of money. And I think what we saw is a massive surge in consumer spending and that stuff comes from China. And so the ports saw unprecedented activity, right? It did. What is some beyond the crazy spending that we as consumers did, a lot of it through e-commerce. What was the other what's some of the other challenges that the West Coast had? As far as the port as a whole? Yeah. The congestion. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just, it's, 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 it's a, like anything else, if you bring too much in, I mean, and you don't have the supply to, to, to support that. Right. And that's, what's happening. The chassis shortages, um, the triaxle, a triaxle chassis, I'm just going to let you know, is for any overweight container that comes in. Anything that's over 43.5 is going to be overweight. 
and it's going to have to have a tri-axle. Right. So it's going to be an extra right. you know, axle on the truck to, to support that weight. So those are really, really non-existent in, in Long Beach. Um, regular chassis as well. So we have drivers on a daily basis that will go into Long Beach. It's so bottlenecked. They'll get sent back. They can't pull the container. We right. have to pay a dry run. It's, it's, that's right. what it's called. Um, so, so it's, it's very frustrating. And also the lack of space in these ports and, and, and terminals, there's no yard space. So there's nowhere to actually put these containers as far as investing these intermodal and these rail yards and these ports and terminals, they need to invest in more equipment. They need to invest in more lifts. Um, there's people that are jumping up, you know, from the bottom of the totem pole because they are investing in the infrastructure at these places. And people are seeing that it's helping efficiencies. So that's the problem. And everything is coming in to one place. There's other places that we can bring these boxes into. So we need to start creating parity, right? Like it's, right. This, it's it, we're, we're almost creating this problem ourselves, so to speak, um, by not running 24 seven. That's another right. problem. So, right. yep. So, so we had this huge surge and also you mentioned some of the equipment shortages that, that happens. Appointments course. as well. Can't get an appointment to schedule right. a box. And I think we also had, not just at the port, but nationwide, we had people in logistics staying home. If you were at high risk for catching COVID, you might say, you know what, I'm staying home. Uh, the government's sending me a check. My kids have to work from home or go to school from home. So the hell with it. I'm going to stay home. And and I'm not I'm not judging. I'm just saying that that happened. So we had a lot of people sitting out. When we needed them, we needed a lot of people. A lot of people were not available. And then equipment shortages. <laughs> and then uh, we had also this container problem. And so when we were prepping for this, we talked about this container imbalance. So when I have all these containers show up at Long Beach or Los Angeles, and they don't get unloaded as quickly as they normally do, that means that they don't go where they normally go afterwards. So speak to that for just a minute. Yeah. I mean, these containers are sitting in these ports and terminals or sitting on these on these ships that are just sitting anchored in the water right in Long Beach. And, and the problem is, you know, when this container gets unloaded and it sits in the storage, this, the, the ports and terminals, they, they have the power. So these things are getting charged $250, $300 a day storage. That's no bueno, Joe. If you ask any of these shippers, it's just, it's, it's just killing them. So it's going to become a question on when is this going to be worth it to the consumer of us, you know, taking in this freight when it's just sitting here and they have to add this shipping and all these fees because it's creating you know, a problem for these shippers is costing them hundreds of thousands of dollars for these right. containers sitting in the demerge. That's, this is the real problem here. Right. I heard, I heard somebody say this when I read, I read a little article, a little bit of an article that talked about container imbalance and shipping imbalance. They said, you know, we had a pretty, you know, we, we did a pretty good job of forecasting. So we know where these boats come to and we know the containers they have, and we know certain amount go eastward, some certain amount go westward. China, in particular, they had the pandemic first. They recovered first. And so they started production, and we went hog wild buying stuff. Stuff started moving this way. But they weren't buying as much, and we couldn't ship as much because a lot of our factories were closed. So we're not shipping anything back eastward. Nope. And we had shortages, and our, our production facilities were closed down because of the same reasons, COVID. And so all of a sudden, that delicate balance that worked pretty well we, we I went almost say it was perfect, but it worked pretty well pre-COVID. Now all of a sudden seems broken, really broken. I mean, this is the best way to put it. It is broken. The system is broken. The system definitely, I shouldn't say it's fully broken, Joe. The system needs to be tweaked. 
we were talking about, you know, some of those things that we, I'm not going to jump to the, the solution part because I know right. you're going to get into that, but it's, it's, it, let's, it's, it becomes like, when is enough enough? Like when you're the shipper, how are you going to keep on stacking these steamship lines, right. sending them to Long Beach, knowing that that ship is just going to sit there right. anchored in the water? Like what? Right, right. So, so when we were talking about this, this so I just did a podcast with Jason Miller from Michigan State. And guy, uh, I, know, I, I know Jason. I'm, I don't know him personally, but I'm friends with him on LinkedIn. I follow him. Which I think is great that Wolverines and Spartans can get along. <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't go that far, Joe. But <laughs> One of my kids went there. <laughs> uh, that's all good. Yep. So in, in Michigan State, I got to tell you, it's if you're a, a Michigander or a Michiganian, I don't know what they call us. I went to school at night, so I would have a chance to go and visit my buddies in Ann Arbor or East Lansing. East Lansing's got a lot more fun going on a lot of times. I mean, I know, I know, I know. We're sort, <laughs> of, gotta nerdy, give them we're sort of a nerdier <laughs> school here at Michigan, Joe. Come on. You know what? I actually went to a recruiting trip at Michigan State. And uh, man, what an experience! It was it was it was pretty awesome. It was when they had T.J. Duckett back in the two thousands. It was it was oh a, yeah yeah yeah. It was a great experience. I was on the field actually, and just to see the mass of these men, you know, when you're just a high school kid, it's it's, it's amazing, you know. But it creates yeah. excitement. It was something that I really wanted to do, you know. So it was awesome. Right where I live, I live about forty minutes from East Lansing and about twenty five minutes from Ann Arbor. So it's amazing to be next to two world-class universities that both have like 50,000 kids at it. So anyway, getting back into this, some of the challenges, if you look at Walmart, or so when Jason was, Jason Miller's on my podcast, he mentions 24 million containers come here. That's every year. That's our imports. And he said 900,000, almost a million are Walmart. Then you got like 600,000 600, with Target. Then you got Home Depot, 400,000, Lowe's, almost 300,000, Ashley Furniture. So these are a lot of consumer good companies and Nike's in that list. And if you just type it, you can type in the top 100. I may have put a link into it, the top 100 importers. You would recognize all those names, which is great. So Nike or Home Depot, they aren't going to struggle as much as the guy who says, I get one container a month. That guy is the one who's really hurting because if you're, if, if you're the port, if you're, uh, steamship line carriers, they're taking care of Walmart because they hope that Walmart's, you know, is, is a long-term customer. Walmart gets to call in the bat phone and says, I got a problem. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> right? They got you, that special connection. No doubt. Right. Right. And you, you, the guy who says, I bring in one container a year or one container a month. It's not as much as Walmart, but to my business, it's critical. That's the guy who's really struggling right now. Am I right? One thousand percent. One thousand percent. It's these small shippers. It's these small freight forwarders or even some big freight forwarders that are falling behind to the guys that you just said that own the market as far as importing right. from these places. Like, And also the, the extra fees. You know, So you get contracted fees and transact. Uh, we have asses. We call fees. them assessorial fees. Right. So the guys who are paying extra are the small guys right now. They're the ones who are getting bumped. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that would actually be hundred percent accurate. I would say the big guys are actually, they're getting dinged a little bit, but the big, the big guys, like you said, are calling on that bat phone when they are getting dinged to try to smooth the kinks out. Right. The smaller guys are the guys that are just going to have to take it on the chin. Right. They got, they got to roll right. with the punches. You got to get it there. So you have to find an option of what's going to work best for you. And I wouldn't follow suit of the top five Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Lowe's, and Ashley Furniture. I wouldn't follow what they're doing. That's just my opinion. They're high-volume, low-margin freight. 
these big freight forwarders are different, right? So like they don't have as high volume. So we need to make sure that they think outside the box. This is where you have to start thinking outside the box. You have to start getting, you know, intuitive. You have to just start, you know, just start creating something different. Right. So we have the, so we have really an, uh, one other thing and, and we don't have to get in great detail, but we all know that the Suez Canal got blocked too. And you go, well, how, how does that impact me? It's on the other side of the world, but so much business went through it. It just created more imbalance, more broken forecasts, more assets sitting, you know, containers sitting where they weren't supposed to not being emptied. And one other thing I think we throw in here is businesses really struggled with forecasting. When you when the pandemic hit, you said, well, what's going to what's going to go wrong? And I'll throw one thing out there. Toilet paper. We every, we still need a toilet paper. <laughs> That's human functions didn't end, right? So, but we needed more toilet paper for homes, less toilet paper that would be directed towards businesses because we're staying at home. And they said that's that that was some of the the disconnect. The the one ply that I normally would send to these stores or restaurants that are now closed has to become two ply. And and, and we we did that with milk also. I had somebody on my podcast talking about the milk cartons that we have for kids that for schools, we no longer need that. We need gallons for homes. But the problem is, how do you switch overnight to that? And the guys talking about um, Chris Fish talking about milk said, the cows don't stop making it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're filling up tanks. You better figure out where you're selling it. We right. all ran into that same problem. So we as consumers and we as business people, our forecast went hog wild. So it didn't help anyone on the shipping community who's trying right. to make rhyme or reason of this. So. Brian, what do we do What at a high level? Let's just talk about it at a high level that you, that you and I don't have an impact on, but we can talk about it. At a high level, what should they do at the ports? What, what, can, what can Long Beach do? What can Los Angeles do to make this a better situation? That's a great question, Joe. This is going to be – obviously, if, we have no if control Brian, If that. Brian Rice was the king for today, I just made you king of Long Beach, Long Beach and uh, Los Angeles ports just for the day. Brian, don't get carried away. <laughs> I won't. I'm, I'm going to try not to, but I'm going to tell you right now, one of the solutions I would I would obviously check out would be the unions, right? I would get with these union guys and maybe come up with an Amazon mindset. I mean, Amazon is probably the, the king of the world when it comes to manufacturing e-commerce and shipping and doing all this good stuff. Um, and, and, and they run 24-7 operationally. That's the only way they could keep up with the demand. Um, something needs to be done there where we're running 24 seven to try to get these ships that are anchored to try to get them turned over quickly to get them back to overseas. So they, to they probably more. have to do some hiring. They have to do some hiring, but they also have to do some changing. And we know that unions, Joe, I don't know if you know anything about unions, but unions don't like to change, right? So it's, it, it would be a tough conversation with them. Yep. And I'll throw something else out there is, you know, the nature of I do know a lot about unions. I worked with the UAW and many other unions most of my career. And now everyone's all Teamsters, but I'll throw it out there. And I know you said your dad's a Teamster, right? He was. He was a Teamster. So I think one of the things that when you're talking about the, our business, it's still a business where people can get injured. So they do they they do create sometimes restrictive work roles, but they're there for a reason. I don't need I don't need Joe Lynch jumping in and driving around on the um, equipment and hurting myself and others. Right? Get Makes off sense. that get off that. And I don't need people who walking around in the yard who aren't trained. So I understand they get restrictive work rules, but there's some are there for a reason. So, but, but the union, the union is part of the challenge. They work 
they can only work so many hours. We need more people there, more labor. Yeah. So, I mean, I would add maybe a couple more here. We would say, again, Amazon mindset with the 24-7, you know, try to talk to these unions, try to get on board, which is going to be a difficult task within itself. If you want to get like on a really big scale and something that's going to really help us down the road, and I'm talking way past 2022 into the 2025, you know, sector, because brick and mortar is no more. E-commerce is here to stay. People are staying at home ordering, you know, just more stuff as, as the days go by. My wife is as guilty as this as they come. I come home and we just have stuff everywhere. It's like, holy <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's going to continue to grow. And, and it's interesting because it, 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 in a lot of ways, it won't, it won't matter as much. Walmart is an e-commerce company as much as they are. Amazon's got stores. So e-commerce, I mean, Amazon's not the top retailer and they won't be for a long time, if ever. And so you have these big, but, but everybody's doing it that way. To your point, we still have this last mile delivery. So anyway, if you're king for a day, you would do something with, do something to see if we can't get more labor, work 24 seven over there until we get these problems solved. What's some, what's some other things you would do at a high level to fix some of these problems? Yeah, perfect scenario is create some more ports and terminals around the country, right? Like Long Beach shouldn't be the only one. If you want to reroute any freight, you're going to go up to Washington or you're going to come down to Miami. You know, there's just different ways to do this, but I think there just should be more ports and terminals. We need to add more parity. You can't have 30% of all imports in the country coming into one port and terminal. It just doesn't make sense to me. You can't have all your eggs in one basket because it creates this kind of situation that we're in right now. Right. So if it, so, so, and I think also, you know, we talked, you talked about equipment. We're short of equipment. We're short of people. We're short of, I think you mentioned lifts over there. We're look and maybe some, uh, I'm assuming docks and, and doors, right? We, we, we need all this stuff that makes it easier. And again, these guys, to their credit, they've dealt with a, a very difficult problem. And I think they're getting through some of this. Dozens of boats that were stuck in the in the harbor for a while. We don't have that problem. But this isn't going to fix itself in the next month or two. This could be well into 2022. So if you're talking to a shipper, what do they have to do? I've heard if you're not already worried about Christmas, you should be if you're a ship. It's too late, Joe. Down. It's too late. If you're if you're not already forecasting for it's Christmas, August, man. I know, but if you're not already forecasting and being prepared um, and, and, and getting these these boxes lined up, there's not going to be space from Shanghai to Long Beach right now. I'm telling you right now, that container used to cost you, you know, fifty five, six thousand bucks to move it from Shanghai to Long Beach. It's twenty thousand dollars to go on. Jeez, oh Pete. So so let's talk about alternatives. What what's the alternative? If I get say, oh, I got to fly. You, we got to fly. We got to fly. fly. You know what? And Joe, we were talking about that earlier. Were, he was just flapping his arms, people. So you were supposed to know that. <laughs> I think you're going to get a little bit, you know, a little bit different on here. I can't be like the same guy that just sits here and talks, Joe. So, so all, that's the alternative. One of the alternatives. Hey, I, I just said this, and, and, and I'm going to create another solution here is creating more infrastructure inland to help the bottleneck. Okay. If we could take these containers and take them out of the ports and terminals yards itself, right in that spot yep. and put these things inland at other, you know, inland uh, rails and, and places like that to create some space, 
we can unload these ships that are sitting there, right? So more manpower, more equipment is necessary, but also infrastructure inland where we need some distribution centers. You know, Dre Depot, we have, you know, something cool to happen in the 2022, $36 million development project. We have three cold storage warehousing, transloading facilities, chassis yards. We're going to have five revenue streams coming into each one of these places. And it's going to um, help with this problem. It's going to help, you know, clear up some space and, and some capacity, but we can't do this ourselves, right? So we're small. We're just trying to do our part. I seen the opportunity. Um, I've had my boots down on the ground, so to speak, and, and, and just walking around, finding some uh, the people that are not visible to a lot of these other three PLs. And that brings me to the last solution. Sign Dre Depot up. Sign a company up that has 5,000 partners, transloading drayage partners, we have a huge network where you're going to get more options than just going direct to one asset-based company. I, I can right. promise you that. We have guys on there that are not visible on the CRMs. They're not going to be on the internet, not going to be able to find them. They're mom shops with their personal right. chassis and all that good stuff. And, 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 right. and that's what we're doing. That's a solution. I'm going right. to recap, create infrastructure, uh, create more ports and terminals, um, Get the Amazon mindset of a 24-7 operations down there at those ports and terminals. Yeah, and just just stop creating more equipment when it comes to containers and getting more steamship lines. Start creating more infrastructure. That's where it's right. going to start in the United States. Right. So when you so when something comes to into a port, let's just say I've got 20 containers that are coming in and it's going to some factory somewhere in the Midwest. When that comes, that has to clear customs or how, how do they check those? Or is that just, can that clear customs in Chicago just as easily as it clears customs in L.A.? You know, so as soon as it comes off the the, uh, the steamship line, it's going to be either if it's a bond shipment, it's going to have, absolutely have to clear customs. That box is going to sit there until they clear it. Right. And what does that clear? What what does that actually mean? What are they doing when they say they cleared customs? They're checking all the paperwork on it just to make sure that if it is a bonded it, shipment, that everything right. is panned out. Uh, they may break the seal and check some things out inside that container itself. But other than that, I mean, you're not the holdup at these these ports and terminals is not from customs. Let's just right. put let's just put it right there, right there. It's okay. This is not a port and custom. This is not a customs thing. This is. This is a total manpower, just just bottleneck situation like we keep right. on talking about. There is nowhere to put the boxes. Right. There's nowhere to put the boxes. There's too many. There's so, lack so, of drivers. So one of the solutions you say is let's get this stuff on rail and move it move it out of the way 100 miles, 200 miles, 1,000 miles away from uh, the port of L.A. No, I don't even want Beach. to go that far, Joe. I don't want to go that far. We could even go as far as going 45 miles off of the port. 15 miles off the Well, I'm just saying if they, get, space, if they get right. busy, if those places are going to get busy quick. <laughs> 100%, You know, like I can give you an example of someone that's actually trying to grow their footprint. And that's what we need. That's the solution that is needed. We need people to step up. We need people like Maersk, right? We, we, we work with Maersk on a daily basis. Maersk takes his customers' boxes from Europe, Asia, Germany, Japan, wherever you, wherever you name it. They bring them over here in 30 days. And, and they just basically throw those boxes in these in the in these in these ports and terminals. They unload it, and then it is it's it's every man for himself. How is that helping their customer? I don't understand. They have such great reports. They're reporting all this profit quarterly, all this stuff. Why doesn't Maersk have any distribution centers or any yards that are inland with equipment to help their customers 
on the other side overseas to move these boxes out of the, out of the ports to help alleviate these storage fees. They're not helping. They're not (laughs) helping. You know, it's interesting. There's always another problem to solve. And I think you just named a few. So, so, so if you, if you're that shipper for the guy who says, I I now have to worry about Christmas, your suggestion is look for alternatives that get you away from LA, away from Long Beach. Maybe I come in through Seattle or through Portland or, the other side that <laughs> I come in through from uh, the East coast is not congested or the down South Savannah, New uh, York, New York, New York, New York, Savannah, Miami, Charleston, Leatherman, you name it. You got options, man. Come somewhere else. Reroute your freight. Don't fly do it. Everything. Fly. Right. If you're small enough and you don't have that much volume because people like Walmarts and these people, it's not possible to fly. We talked about that. The guys that are going to be able to fly are going to be like the tier three customers, tier one being the biggest, two medium size, and third. The three and the, the number two tier and the number three tier guys are going to be the ones that are going to be able to maybe have that option of flying if it's an expedited shipment and they really need it. Yeah, it's going to be cost effective and and, and it's going to get there a lot quicker than waiting 30 days for that thing to come over on a boat. Yep. Yep. Many years ago when I still worked on, in, in Asia, I remember having a a supply guy. And he used to always tell me, Joe, your stuff is coming on the slow boat from China <laughs> and it's month on the it's ocean. True, it's true. And, and every once in a while, when we would air freight something, people would always go ballistic on us. But really the challenge for an automotive guy, and that's, that's what I was, is not so much paying extra for logistics. You don't want to do it on a regular basis, but the real challenge is missing a launch or missing a prototype uh, build. I mean, that was, that's, that's, that's the real problem. Not having, not having uh, Christmas ornaments on the shelves on right, right. in December. That's the challenge. I don't want to receive them in January for a good price. I want to receive them in December at all costs. I agree. So anyway, put a bow on this one, Brian. Give us, I know it's a big topic, but please summarize this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, so obviously we have a problem. Um, we have a problem all over the country at every port and terminal. There's shortages everywhere more than others, right? So West Coast and Long Beach, what we're talking about, we have we have problems. Now we just have to find solutions for these problems. It sounds easier, it's easier said than done. But I feel like if we all put our heads together and, and we get something going, we could we could we could come up with these solutions. I can't be the only guy here talking to you, Joe, that's stopping right. this, right? I, I I've sat here quietly for a while, we built Trade Depot. Um, I was really concentrating on getting our network to match and what we were selling. And, and, and it's there now. So now what I would say is, I would say, if you are a small shipper, a small manufacturer, do not do what the big dogs are doing. Okay. I would usually tell you, now the guy that started three logistics companies, don't reinvent the wheel. If it works, <laughs> do it. Right. But not in this case. In this case, I would try to forecast. I would try to look at different things outside the box. I would just try to literally come up with something that's something, you know, most people aren't doing, and that's flying their freight now. Amazon's really coming into the, the flying sector as well. That, you know, they're obviously they touch everything. Right. But so I would think about flying it. I would think about throwing it on intermodal. If it does come into a port and terminal and just move it inland. We have a model here at Trade Depot, and I'm going to put the bow on it for you. Don't let the ports and terminals win. I take extreme offense to this. If I see a container sitting there in the last three days and it's sitting there accumulating all this uh, demerge and storage, I'll go right up to my team and we let them know. We're not letting these guys win because our customer is the most important thing to right. us, right. right? So, And they appreciate that kind of stuff. So if you need to 
get in contact with someone, www.dredepot.com, right. team at dredepot.com. Send right. over any any rate request, any quote request you're looking for. My solution to this, to wrap it up in a bowl, is to work with a really, really good, dependable 3PL. 3PLs add value. We get bad names, people double broker. Everyone wants to go to the direct assets, but it's not possible. Work with a good 3PL who has a great big network who could blast out and get you more than one option, okay? And they let you pick. Right. And so, so all you have to do is say, I normally ship it into Long Beach. Give me an option. And they and, and, and they will. And I suspect a lot of companies that are in the freight forwarding business are doing just that. They're looking for options. That's what their business is. So I was at a non-asset based third party logistics company. And I remember people would say, oh, I only want to work with people who have assets. And I would always say, I get that. I, I understand you want that control. But the problem is there's not a, there's not enough trucking companies that have the footprint you want. Right. And conversely, it's the same way. You know, if you're calling Maersk, you're not calling from a, a position of strength. So you might as well talk to somebody who's at a, a logistics company that might have a, a little better, a little better relationship there. So, so you got to ask for options. You, and you, you said it. Usually, you would tell them, "Don't reinvent the wheel." But right now, is get creative. Ask your three PL to get creative because it, it is. There's no magic. There's no magic beans here. You, but you're going to have to get creative in, unless you really want to get. You shut know what? Out. I something, Joe. I didn't mean to cut you off, but another way that we can get creative, another solution, is transloading. It's transloading. It's taking those boxes quickly and putting them on a 53 foot dry van and, and getting it to, to the door, the final destination. We see a lot of transloading going on. And that's another thing that our facilities are going to be capable of doing. So, you know, transloading is another option. Instead of letting that thing sit, just get it over, put it on a, on right. a 53 and get it out of there. Excellent. So, Brian, before you go, tell us a little bit what's going on over at Dre Depot. Uh, how do we, first off, who do you guys normally serve? And then uh, how do we reach out to you guys? Yeah, so right now we are mainly serving freight forwarders. Um, again, I was talking to you about the alphabet and A to Z, A to M, N to Z. You know, A to M being the freight forwarders coming over and N to Z being the final domestic destination. There's no connection there. So we're trying to really work with these freight forwarders and trying to manage their portfolio where they trust us. And they're giving us a good visibility of this freight coming over two weeks out. We have a lot of people that are, you know, sending these boxes with two last free days on it and, and, and expecting us to pull a rabbit out of our hat. It's not going to happen. Plan, 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 communicate, communicate, communicate. Right. I talk to my team every day, be organized and make sure that we are on point and we are fighting for our customers to get these things out of demerge and pool, pool as many containers as we possibly can. The freight forwarders are the guys that we're working with. We're also working with direct manufacturers as far as Nike, Macy's goes, uh, Amazon, we move some containers for. So we're working with a lot of the big dogs. I have to say that we're one of the fastest growing companies of our kind. Um, we're one of a kind. We're a very niche company, right? We're only focusing on drayage and intermodal. When people hear that we do that, they are just like, wow. And then once we show them what we have to offer and they check out like our services and, and, and how we are organized and we communicate, the rest is history. I mean, right. people are just giving referrals to other companies. We got, we got companies like FedEx. We got companies like FedEx and, and UPS calling us to move, you know, uh, internal boxes from, you know, Midwest, uh, CNF, Railroad, BNSF. You, you talk about it. They, we're doing, we're doing all these Chicago transfers for these companies. We don't even know who they are, but they know who us we are. We're making a statement in this game, Joe. 
Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an interesting space you're in because it's not the same. you know, if you look at, uh, over, well, first off, you look at less than truckload, there's, there's 10 companies that do what 80% of the business, right? Then you go over to truckload. It's very advanced, mature market. Now, granted the biggest player probably only has one and a half percent of the market, but they're right. massive, right? And they have th- thousands of trucks. We know that. Then when you get over to drayage, it is a, um, still to some extent, a mom and pa business. Am I right? It is because there is no, and, and that leads me to another exciting thing that we have going on. So the $36 million development, we're also in the final stages with us, with an engineer that's going to create a uh, sort of like a DAT board for drayage. There's no visibility for drayage. So we're going to try to have chassis spotters. We're going to have, you know, where these personal chassis are sitting so that you can actually contact these mom and pa shops. So that's something exciting. We'll see how that goes. Um, that's going to be a little bit down the road. So, so that's exciting. So creating things like that where we can have visibility because you're right. Drayage is so, it's so niche because there's so many touches. The boxes get touched right. a lot. There's a lot of accessorial fees. There's a lot of congestion fees. If you, you name it, there's a fee for it. <laughs> so, and, so and you help us avoid those. <laughs> I try, we, we try to do our best, but again, we're at the liberty of the carrier, the, the carriers right. and the ports, and the steamship lines own this market right now. So we're, you know, right. we're, we're trying to do our best. Right. So you, you mentioned uh, you guys are putting up, doing a development. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So we have, a, a, as far as the asset development or the board development? No, the, the building. Yeah. So we have an infrastructure going right now in the Southeast. We have three facilities. Um, they're going to be as small as 250 to 500,000 being the biggest. We're going to have capabilities of transloading, um, dry warehousing, um, cold storage, We'll also wow. have chassis yards, and we also have a brokerage inside of each one of these places. So we're going to have five revenue streams. We're, the, the positive thing about this, Joe, is we're also going to be doing it to raise median uh, value uh, or income in some of these districts that we're going to be opening these places. Some of these places we're going to be opening are, are, are moderately poor places, and we're going to be offering pretty good jobs to you know to help these people, the communities, and create you know some positive excitement. And right. not only that is we're, 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 we're helping the people out and we're going to be taking a little bit of strain off these ports, you know, down in the Southeast right. where we're, we're putting these things up. Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. And, you know, one of the things I know, uh, this is a great business. So the logistics and supply chain is a great business. We have to bring people in. And I think, you know, you mentioned you starting at the bottom, being that young guy in the back that nobody knows about. Paying the bills. Hey, Joe, <laughs> I'm going to stop you right now. Those guys would be like, kid, get the tab. Right. I was like, all right, I got you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but I think that part part of what we knew is we bring people in, especially there's a lot of people coming into this business through fulfillment centers and also through gig economy and also through what you just described. We need to we need to grab those guys and say, hey, this is a great industry. And you you might be starting off moving boxes, but we're going to get you. We have to have advancement. We have to have a way to say. We're going to move you from moving boxes to moving trucks to uh, right. to being a supply chain leader, and I think this is uh, this is this is the challenge, and I'm I'm looking forward to hearing more. It sounds like you got big things going on. So, oh, you by the way, I think you mentioned you're speaking uh, with my buddy Dooner. When's that? I am. I'm going to be on August 27th. I'm going to be on with Tim Dooner, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> I love Tim. I love listening to his content. Um, and I'm also going to be on. Um, Freight Waves Now with Kevin Hill. We're still scheduling. Oh. Yeah, so I have a lot of stuff to share. You know, it's like, it's. It, 
I'm going to be honest with you. I got something to admit. This is my first podcast I've ever done. So, uh, well, um, I was going to say Kevin Hill was my second podcast guest. That was before he went to Freight Waves. And I, I listened to it every once in a while just to remind myself that I'm not as bad as I used to be. But <laughs> <laughs> I hope I did an okay job today. You, know, you did great. You did great. It is what it is. So, Joe, you could catch me with Kevin Hill on Freight, uh, Freight Waves now or with uh, Tim Dune or August 27th. Right. We'll put some, we'll put that information in the show notes. I'll also put a link to Dre Depot. I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. And uh, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you. This is such a big topic and everybody's impacted. You know, when you talk about 30% of the freight, basically anybody's a freight broker, anybody in logistics and supply chain, they're touched by this and not in a good way usually. So usually, not right now. you know, guys at Long, Long Beach and Los Angeles are probably saying, you never hear about us until we screw up, but it's not really exactly. even their fault. This is just a, this is an unprecedented time. So anyway, Brian, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on, sharing what you know, and that's quite a bit. <laughs> I appreciate you, Joe. Thanks for having me on and uh, have a great weekend. Man. We'll have to talk a little bit of football now. So, uh, yeah, and thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.